Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. It's great to see all of you here tonight. Let's take our Bibles and go to Acts chapter 18. Um, tonight I'm going to uh, continue our series that we've been doing over Wednesday night, Route 66, and we've come to 1 Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, but we're going to start in Acts chapter 18. We, Heather and I just returned from uh, Kerrville, and uh, I was speaking at their Word First conference. You remember Pastor Bert Wimberly, who's been here the last couple of years at our prophetic conference there, and got a beautiful church there called Gates of the City, and uh, where he's been, how long has he been there, honey? Many, many years. My dad says that Kerrville's the prettiest town in Texas. I don't know about that, but it's pretty close. It is a, it is a beautiful town, and their church sits up on a hill overlooking I-10 and all of Kerrville sits way up high. It's just a beautiful Austin Stone kind of building with these arches and just beautiful place. Also killed a few deer on that property, so that's, that's a plus. But um, anyway, they do a conference every year that they call Word First, and they have a few speakers come in. And so I've been a part of that the last few years and had a pleasure of being there. And then last night, I, I stayed an extra night because Roxanne Alexander was there. And it was her first time to actually speak uh, in their church. And, of course, they fell in love with her like all of you did. And, um, but I'm not too sure I'm going to go to any more of her meetings. Because she always says things that bothers me. I'm not kidding. She, she was preaching away. And, you know, when she gets in that zone... As soon as she starts going, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank, I'm like, uh-oh, here she goes. And she walks right over to me. She goes, Waco, there's something for you in Waco, Waco, Texas. There's some, uh. So that's when I decided I'm not going to listen to Roxanne Alexander anymore. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means, but I kind of think I know. Not that I'm moving ever to Waco, Texas. Please know that. But just talking about our extension looks like possibly is going to be happening there. That's where you just say, okay, Lord, I, I believe the prophet, and we're going to leave it at that. <laughs> Certainly not going to pursue it. We'll let him do it for us. But she also spoke great things over our church, and um, so I just wanted to come and encourage you tonight that even though we were all over in Kerrville, you were being spoken of. Right. And, uh, right. and um, anyway, just great things are in store for us, I believe, for this year. Uh, greater, greater things. That's what we need to expect, as we talked about on New Year's Day, when so many, actually everybody here was a participant on Sunday morning when everybody gave a little testimony, either of what God has done or what God is going to do, and uh, that was a great time Sunday morning, by the way. I really enjoyed yeah. that. It's very, very encouraged by just seeing what God has done and is, you expect for Him to do in your life this year, and uh, we can know that it's far above what we could ask or think and it's exceedingly abundantly above that. So I want to encourage you to take all the limits off of your believing, off of your thinking, and off of your praying. Just don't put any limits on it. That's what religion does. It tries to put our prayers in a little box, right? Make sure, you got to make sure you say the right thing. You got to make sure you're praying the will of God. You got to just, just limit, 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 limit. When Jesus told us what the will of God is, it says whatever, whatever things you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them and you will have them. That sounds like, well, that sounds pretty limitless to me. He's wanting us to live this limitless kind of existence, and that only happens through faith in Him. And so 
believe him for bigger and greater things, things that are beyond your own strength and your own ability. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about why we do our services the way we do. You ever question why we do things that we do? Or you just, you know, you get in kind of the habit of coming to church and going through the order of the service and kind of used to how we do it. And we start with praise. I love that. I think that's important. We start with praise because it's at that moment that our hearts kind of get retuned, you know, and, uh, and folk focused on the right thing in our life, our God who is with us, who's for us, and we love to sing His praise. There's something about when you express your praise to Him, how much joy that brings you personally in doing so. And, and uh, it, it, it throws weights off of your life and just energizes you in the Spirit, therefore in your life. But there is a scripture over in Hosea chapter 10, and it says that Judah will plow. And there's something that's happening in your heart when you're praising. The word Judah means praise or praised. So praise plows. That's why we do this in the beginning, because we are, we're tilling up the soil of our heart, if you will, in praise and worship, so that when we hear the word, it sinks deep into that soil. And the seed has a lot more potential to produce in that kind of soil, a plowed up, ready to receive kind of soil, rich depth of soil. So I, I don't want... That, I want to encourage you so that when we come into this house and we, to give everything you can in praise and worship. And, and the more you do, the more it opens your heart up, opens your life up to experience the word in greater ways. This is, this is a beautiful thing that God has done to come and be in relationship with us. Not to just be our God, but to be our Father. To be our Father. And some people know Him as, you know, at different levels. But Jesus said, I'm coming to bring you to the Father. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He's the only way to know God as Father. People can know God other ways, you know, from a distance, like Bette Midler does. But um, but Jesus wants us to experience him in a family, in a family way, in a family way. Not just the man upstairs. Mm Mm-hmm. Not just God of the cosmos. No. He, he wants to be known to you as your father. And the scripture says that now we have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. I love that. Well, 1 Corinthians was um, written... After Paul's second missionary journey, you know, he went on three missionary journeys throughout his ministry. And after his second one, um, he wrote this letter. And he wrote this letter in response to a letter that the Corinthian church had previously written to him, asking him questions. Now, you have to understand that Corinth was a, was a, a strategic location for, for um Shipments to come in for commerce. Uh, lots of sailors were in that area. It, it was the capital of the region of Achaia, capital city, and it was fairly new. Now, it had been rebuilt. It one, at one time, it had been in ruins and then had been reestablished. And so Corinth is about five years old when Paul comes in here. So there's a lot of hustle and bustle and excitement, lots of mixture of cultures and, and, and religions and things like that. So Paul comes into this setting, 
And the Lord begins to speak to him when he gets there. And I want to look at uh, Acts chapter 18 and verse 1. He wrote this letter somewhere around A.D. 56, 57. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Hang on, let's go back. I didn't finish that verse. Because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. Thank you. And then verse 8, is that right? Is that where we're going? Yeah, verse 8. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. So we know that some key people in Paul's ministry were found there in, in Corinth, and that was Aquila and Priscilla. What a couple, huh? Their names rhyme. Aquila, and we know that both of them um, were, were teachers, um, they were evangelists, and they were also tent makers. And so when Paul showed up there, the thing that they found in common is they had the same trade. And so they worked making tents and things like that, but they also um, became ministry partners. And then a little later on, Paul went to the, as we saw when we went through the book of Acts last year, and that when Paul would come into a different city, he would always go to the temple first or the synagogue or wherever there were Jews assembled because remember when he taught us how the gospel was to be preached in Romans chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God of salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So then uh, he would go to the, his own people first. Well, they rejected him big time here in Corinth. He said, okay, fine. I'm going to the Gentiles then. So then things start happening. Christmas, the ruler of the synagogue actually gets saved. The scripture says, with all of his household, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. So despite that opposition, things start kicking into gear. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. Can you imagine what good news that was to hear for Paul? All the persecution, the beatings, and all the struggle that he had faced up to this point, now the Lord says, hey, I got some good news for you here in Corinth. Nobody's going to beat you up in this city. All right? Now look what happened. And he continued there a year and six months. All right, I think I'll hang out here a while. Paul didn't hang out anywhere that long. And when he got that word, he said, yeah, okay, I'm parking right here. A year and a half, he stayed right there in Corinth, teaching the word of God among them. Now, because of all of the mixture of the, the cultures and, and the, the races there and the belief systems, the religions. Paul had to come in and, and straighten out some things to help the church. Really, this 1 Corinthians especially, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians are really about how to live a life that is separated unto God. It's, it's, it's practical wisdom for, for walking out our sanctification. And so he is, he's there to help them because they had these questions about all of these, these issues um, that they, they as believers uh, believe the gospel, but they didn't really know how to practice this Christian life, what that looked like due to all the different uh, religions that were around them. So his purpose really in this letter is to correct some carnal thinking uh, within that church that had disrupted and it had, dis and it had really damaged the unity amongst the believers that were assembled there. And so he answers some very specific questions. So I want to just, first of all, give you just an overall analysis of the things that Paul um, dealt with, the issues that he faced and helped them, and 
what I'm giving you tonight is, is just a, a little summary of what I teach in the semester at Christ for the Nations. So you, you, if you want, we can issue you a diploma after the service tonight, and Heather will be happy to de- print one up for you. Anyway, just kidding. No, actually, what I'm planning to do sometime this year is actually get into the books of First and Second Corinthians and let's walk through these things together. But I'm just going to give you a snapshot tonight as we do uh, in this Route 66 series. And there's three main areas in this first, first book, First Corinthians, that Paul um, deals with concerning disunity. The first thing he talks about, he addresses in the first three to four chapters is the issue of sectarianism, all right? Anybody know what sectarianism is? That's not the lady who answers the phone calls at the office. That's, it means excessive devotion to a particular sect, especially in religion. All right? We would call it maybe a denomination today. Amen. All right. So we're not a denominational church. We're not non-denominational. We're actually anti-denominational here. Amen. There's no such thing as denominations in heaven. That means they can't be the will of God on the earth. If they're not there, then they shouldn't be here. I don't know, just a thought. And he deals with them. And one of the things that Paul first deals with, and this is interesting to me, one of the things that first thing he he deals with is when it came to their divisiveness was that some of them were saying, well, I am of Paul. And the other ones were saying, well, I am of Apollos. And others were saying, no, I'm of Peter. That sounds like denominations, doesn't it? And Paul comes in and, and rebukes the fire out of them for this and says, you guys are thinking like babies. And then the second thing he deals with when it came to disunity amongst them was the immoral conduct of certain believers in their, in their congregation. In chapter 5, we've, we've talked about this before, the man who was, had taken his stepmother as his wife. And, um, and so Paul and the church had rallied around this relationship like this was a good thing. And so he said, no, 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 no. We don't support that. No, no, no. We love people and we accept them, but we don't accept what this man's doing. All right, this thing needs to be addressed. Because if you accept that, then you'll accept anything eventually. Then your life's not going to look any different than the rest of the world. And if you don't deal with this, then, then he used that illustration. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. That cancer will spread everywhere. So... He deals with their misconduct and sexual misconduct, lawsuits, uh, celibacy and marriage relationships, eating things offered to idols, the passivity of others not dealing with some of these issues. Um, And then the last thing, the third thing he, he addresses with the church is their conduct in church services. And you can find that in 1 Corinthians chapters 11, 12, and 13, and 14. Chapter 11 is where he talks about the Lord's Supper that we hear Jeremiah talk about, uh, where Paul says, For I, I received from the Lord Jesus that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper and 
He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he comes. And then he talked about how that division in the church had, had caused health problems among some of them. He said some of them were getting sick. Some of them were dying early deaths because they were not considering one another in communion. Because some of them were rushing in and they were taking all the bread and they were drinking all the wine. And then when others wanted to participate, all the food was gone. So Paul says, no, 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 no. This is not take all I can get as quickly as I can. This, this supper is the Lord's supper. This is to be shared amongst all. Jesus broke that bread and he distributed it. This is what we do as members of the body of Christ. And we honor one another. Therefore, we honor him in honoring one another in this setting. And uh, sadly, sadly, um, uh, a lot of churches have made communion about self-examination and confessing all your sins before you partake of that, that bread and that, that wine. And that, there's nothing in the scriptures that teaches us that. But man, we, we, there's a way that seems right to a man, but how many of you know that way is not always right? We've got to go by what the scripture says. And Paul's simply dealing with not the, the lack of concern for others. And he says the reason these things are happening is because there's, the people are not discerning the Lord's body which are his people. And then he also talks about the operation of the gifts in the church in chapters 12 through 14. And uh, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he talks about what all the gifts are, the gifts of the Spirit. And there's like nine manifestations of the Spirit. And you can categorize those things into three different groups. And we'll talk about that sometime later. But some of those things are prophecy and word of wisdom, word of knowledge, tongues, healings, miracles, gift of faith, all kinds of things like that. So he he helps us understand what those things are. And then in chapter 13, he helps us understand what motivates all of those gifts, and that is love. And then in chapter 14, he goes into the behavior with those gifts, the conduct, what, what the purpose of those gifts are. And the purpose of those gifts are, as we read in 1 Corinthians 14 over and over again, for the edification of the church, to build the body. Not to, not to sound spiritual and not to be more spiritual. No, but to edify the church. And he says, if it's not there to edify the church, you don't need to do it. He said, I don't care if you pray 10,000 words in tongues. If no one's being edified, shut your mouth. Amen. So we, and he talked about the, especially the, the specific using tongues as a way to speak to to minister to other people. Now, we know that the only real the demonstration that we have in the use of tongues is in a corporate setting when everybody is praying together. That's the only Bible demonstration we have of it. But we have a teaching on, in 1 Corinthians 14, about how to one individual in a church service would stand up and speak in a tongue and then have an interpreter for that tongue. So, but we don't have demonstration. We just have teaching. All demonstration of tongues in the, in the New Testament was when they all did it together. That's... That is the orderly way to do it. So, um, so Paul addresses these issues, and, and, and he helps bring order, and he talks about, their, their, he said, I love your zeal for the gifts, but that's not everything, just to be zealous for spiritual gifts. You need to remember the reason why we're doing it, to edify one another, to build the church. Amen. So, um, and then chapter 15, my goodness, and we'll, we'll look at, uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 3. Chapter 15, Chapter 15, verses 3 and 4 is where we see, I think it's Paul's most clear and concise explanation of the gospel. 
And he says this, For I deliver to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Isn't that a beautiful message? Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ rose again. There's the gospel. There it is right there. That's all you need to know. That's all you need to believe in order to be saved. All whoever calls on him shall be saved. Calls on the name of the Lord. So chapter 15 is also Paul's marvelous defense of the resurrection of Christ because apparently this mindset had come in where they were questioning if Christ was truly raised from the dead. He said, okay, if Christ isn't raised, then you won't be raised. Because the only reason Christ was raised, everything Jesus did, he did for you and I. That's why Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. I don't, because he died, I died. He died, and there I died. And so if he rose, then that means I rise. That's why we have such assurance as believers. We know that if Jesus rose, we have to rise. Otherwise, what was the point of his resurrection? Amen. He, so he rose again from the dead, ensuring that all of his would rise and die no more. Thank God for that. And then in chapter 16, he gives some instruction about collection, uh, a collection for the poor saints in Jerusalem, and then gives his final greeting. So this is, this is basically 1 Corinthians in a nutshell. And, um, but I want, I want us to look at something for just a moment. Are you guys okay? I hope you're learning something. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2. He says, To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Now, if you look in your Bible, you'll see that to be, the words to be are italicized, which means they were added by the translators. All right, let's take the italicized words out, and we see to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called saints. With all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. So what did Paul just call this Corinthian church? He called them saints. Then when you get into the book, you think, these people are saints? Look at, first, look at the next uh, scripture, 1 Corinthians 3, 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you. Watch. Who's he talking to? He's talking to saints, right? I could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babies in Christ. Well, which is it? Are they carnal or are they saints? They're carnal saints. <laughs> carnal baby carnal saints. That's right, carnal baby saints. So we understand something about our, who we are then as human beings, how God has made us a multidimensional being, spirit, soul, and body. So as far as the saint part of us is concerned, that's found in where? Is that found in your flesh? Heck no. Is that found in your soul? The way you think? No. No, it's found in the spirit. And Jesus already did that. Jesus did that. I, I like the way Hebrew says it. He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So one part of you, the real you, the essence of who you are, the spirit man, is already perfected. 
Already a saint. You're already just like Jesus. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? As Paul says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Paul called, called his own body a body of death. It's a wretched thing. But the inner man is being renewed day by day. That is that which is connected to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says, He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So in the spirit, that's what I'm saying, we have his holiness, his righteousness, we're just like him. So that's why we can be called carnal saints. Perfected, yet we're in process. And listen to me, our perfection, our, our, let me say this, our process is not working us to perfection. Our process is actually working from perfection. We're living from the inside out, working out this salvation with fear and trembling, as the Scripture says. All right, so we're having to talk our minds into it to think that way, our mouths to speak that way, and our bodies to act that way. Hmm? Act like who you really are. Paul said that there's, there's, there's a war between the flesh and the spirit, and they're at war with one another, and they're contrary to one another, the flesh against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, so that you do not do what you wish. Well, who's you? Are, are you the flesh or are you the spirit? And it depends on who you identify with. It will make all the difference in your walk with God. If you think that you are the sum total of this flesh, then you're never going to really truly know what victory is. Never going to really experience the power of his life in your life. You have to identify with who he says that you already are. You are a child of God. You are called by God. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things are gone. New things have come. All right? Now you walk this thing out by faith. Yeah. Listen to the word. The word saint means, this is what he says. It's the word hagios, H-A-G-I-O-S. It means sacred, pure, morally blameless, most holy thing. That's what you are in Christ. Carnal it means pertaining to the flesh, fleshly, having the nature of flesh, under the control of the animal appetites. Governed by mere human nature, not by the Spirit of God. Okay. So, I want to go to, uh, Lisa, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 10, which is, I think, a few verses later in the notes. I love this. 1 Corinthians 10, 23. Let's all read this out loud together. Ready? Read. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. That is one of the most freeing things a Christian can ever say. In other words, Paul says, there are no laws that restrain me. All, I can do all things. Law does not apply. All things are lawful for me, but not all things what? Let's go back but not all things are helpful. In other words, what he said was, just because I can doesn't necessarily mean I should. Hmm? We're all working on that. That's why we're all here. 
There's the, there's the rub. There's the work. There's the process. There's the walk. Just because I can doesn't necessarily mean I should. So you have to decide what kind of relationship with God you want to have. What kind of walk that you want to walk. What kind of experience you want to have in life as a child of God. Do you want to live a life that is simply lawful? Or do you want to live a life that is helpful and one that edifies? And that right there is where you grow up. That's Christian Maturity 101. And if it's all about lawful, then it really is all about you. But if it's helpful, it's about edification, because the very next verse, verse 24, if you would bring that up, Lisa, let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Amen. You've been, this is how free that you are, that you, could, you truly can do anything. All things are lawful for you. It's not the best way to live. It's not, a, it's not the best way to live. The best way to live is to look out for the interest of others. Amen. There's your memento tonight. I want to go to one last scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And verse 45. And so it is written, the first man became a living being. Genesis says that when God created Adam, he formed him out of the dust of the ground and he breathed life into his nostrils. Man did not become a living being until God breathed life into him. He could not, uh, he could not produce life himself. He had to receive life into him. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. That's the difference between Adam and Jesus. Hmm? Adam had to receive life, Jesus was the one who gave it. And let's keep reading. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also those who are heavenly. All right, so what he's saying is just as sure as you being born, you are like Adam. And just as sure as you being born again, you're like Jesus. So you are earthly first because we're all born, and we're all born what? Sinners. But when you're born again, you're born heavenly. Hallelujah. As we have become, are born the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. John said it like this, we will see him as he is, and as he is, so are we in this world. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around that sometimes when we know what kinds of things that we have a propensity to do or, or the things that we have done. We think, well, I don't, I don't necessarily look like Jesus today. I didn't necessarily look like Jesus when I said that or when I thought that thought. But that's, that's, that's not what makes you like Jesus. You're like him by faith in Him. So, I want to encourage you to, this, this, these next few days, to get into this, this book, this 1 Corinthians, and just read this letter. And Paul shows some, some very practical things, very practical issues that people deal with to help us look different than the rest of the world. 
because we are the ones that are called out to be separate, to be a light in this world. Amen. So, uh, so dig into this. Read, just, just read this letter. Read this first letter this week and, and let the Lord begin to speak to you because you're going to find places in there that you go, yeah, oh yeah, I can, yeah. And listen, you're going to see scriptures in there you don't like. There are verses of Scripture in the Bible I don't like. Can I admit that as a pastor? Hmm? What'd you say? Yeah, well, yeah. But God doesn't, God's not going to change it. He expects us to submit to it, to do it. Like turn the other cheek. I don't like that verse of Scripture. Why don't you say punch them right square in the nose if they hit you? I mean, knock them smooth out, right? The flesh man says, yeah, now that sounds good. And Jesus said, turn the other cheek. It's verses like that, but you're going to see things in here. And we need the scriptures to be the last, not the last resort, the final word in our life to where we rest upon it and say, okay, I'm not experiencing this or I haven't thought this way before, but Lord, I don't want to argue with you. You know me. You know how you've, you've created me, and you've given me this instruction manual how to live this life in you. So let the Word of God teach you. Let it correct you. Let it edify you. Let it build you. Let it strengthen you. We need all of these things. And Corinthians, you're going to see a lot of correction in the Corinthian church. But take what applies to you. Take what, what is needful for you, you and your experience right now. You're going to find yourself in the book. You're going to find that God offers help in every area of our life, especially in how this sanctification process looks. At the end of the day, does it edify others and does it please God? Does it edify others and does it please God? Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you, God, for this great church. Thank you, Lord, for these precious people. Thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit who guides us into all truth who teaches us all things, who will never, ever lead us astray, who will always show us the truth. Help us, God, to be pliable, Lord, to be ready and willing and able to rest our lives on the truth of your word so that we can experience, God, the life that you came to give us. We know that you are good and you do good. And we know, Lord, what you have in store for us is good. And we don't want to do anything to hinder that, to hesitate that. Lord, we want to see it flowing regularly in our lives. So help us, Lord, to be people who are daily sanctified, daily setting our hearts to understand, to know you more, to know this great God who has given himself to us in such a way and said, Here I am. Know the depths of my love. Know the depths and the riches of my grace. Because you are are a rewarder to those who diligently seek you. Thank you, Father. I just declare peace, Lord, over every household that's represented here tonight. Rest for their souls. Rest for their bodies. Strength and energy, God. Thank you, Lord, for health in their bodies in the name of Jesus. Lord, we're looking forward to this great year. We know, God, that your, um, you crown the year with your goodness. You crown it, Lord, with your goodness. So, Lord, we thank you for that. 
a year that is crowned with goodness. We thank you that you are doing a new thing. And it is it has even begun to spring forth, God, and we shall know it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, that you are very present help in time of need. And everything that we need, everything that we have is found in Jesus. He is the sum total of every word from God is found in the man Jesus who has come to live in us every day of our lives. Thank you for that glorious mystery that has now been revealed. Christ in us, the hope of glory. In Jesus' name. And now may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.